Hey y'all, welcome back to New Slang. I am music journalist Thomas Mooney, and on this episode, I'm joined by David Beck of David Beck's Tahano Weekend. So yeah, it's been a minute since the last episode. I've been a little busy as of late, but I do have a handful of really great episodes that I need to get out to y'all. So we're kicking things off again with an old buddy, the aforementioned David Beck, who just released David Beck's Tejano Weekend Volume 2 just about a month ago. We talk about the blending of Tejano music and American singer-songwriter, collaborating with legends of the genre, how and why he started diving into Tejano music, and what he has to add to the genre at large. If you haven't listened to David Beck's Tahano Weekend just yet, I do highly encourage y'all to check out all the work that they've done. There's Volume 1 and Volume 2. They're stellar records. And then there's a couple of two-song EPs that are very worthy of your time as well. So since the last episode, I've released The Lubbock Way, my debut book about a small slice of Lubbock's music history. I've been really blown away by the support so far. This first edition of the book, there are only 806 copies, which of course is an homage to the Panhandle area code. As of now, I've sold just north of 500 of them. So what that means is if you want a copy, you ought to order one pretty soon. I'll throw a link in the show notes to the New Slang merch store where you can order one. It's also where you can get Bust the Hub t-shirts or the New Slang Panhandle music shirts, koozies, stickers, coffee mugs, and a bunch of other things that you would expect in a merch store. Okay, I'll keep this really short and sweet and just tell you to subscribe to New Slang wherever you listen to podcasts. Tell your friends, your family, your coworkers, anyone that you think that would enjoy New Slang to go ahead and check out New Slang. Links to Twitter, Facebook, and the Instagram, they are also in the show notes. All right, let's get into it. Here is David Beck. I've already hit record, by the way, but like, cool. uh, you know, like, I, I guess like with a lot of artists and musicians, you know, having time is, is, is kind of like the, the key to being able to sit down to, to write or create or whatever the case is. It's always about time, right? Having time. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know if that's really like, hey, here's this huge indefinite block of time. You don't know when it's going to end, when it's going to, when we're done with it is like the, the, the most creative, uh, the best way to, to create, you know, in, in the middle of a pandemic, but you, everyone was allotted that time. What did you kind of do with yours? Like, did you, did, did it feel right to, to write and create, or did you have to, was it just surreal? Like, you know, I felt like it was for me. Um, no, I, I thought it was a really wonderful time to make some stuff. I made a, uh, like a punk rock kind of rock record thing that I always wanted to do since I was like in high school. And I I thought about it like every year of my adult year years. Like once a year I'd be like, God dang it. Like I love the Misfits a lot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I always went back to them like a couple times a year. I just listened a bunch and, and just always want to make a record like that. And so that was my opportunity to make, uh, I have, it's, it's, it's on Spotify. It's called half a man. It's like a ode to the misfits kind of thing. Yeah. Which I would ne- never have done. I would never have taken the time to do that. You know? Yeah. That's, that's the, the interesting part of all this is that you did find a lot of people who you had like these projects that would never probably seen the light of day never have been able to happen without yeah. this this time um you know like it, it's the I, I guess like with mike and the moon pies when they put out that uh gary stewart record that was something that they were kind of working on kind of not working on kind of working on and you know the, the reason why they were able to do it is because of the the pandemic that it just kind of fell into that being the next thing for them you know and i feel yeah. like that a yeah. lot of times a lot of artists they did that like okay well i'm gonna make that kind of record i'm gonna do this weird not necessarily weird but you know this uh pet project this uh something i've been maybe not that's not for everybody but you know i need to mark it off the list yeah it it it, it gave like uh 
oxygen to these little smoldering fires and everybody, you know. All of a sudden, they had enough oxygen to light up. It was super cool. I did that. And then, uh, which was a totally just fucking off kind of thing. And then, uh, and then finished this record that's coming out now, Tejano Week in Volume 2. So, like, after I kind of messed around, I was like, okay, I need to get back to some, like, more serious things. And so, finished that, all that out. Spent a lot of time on it. And then, uh, also did those summer, uh, the, the the four songs that came out in the summer yeah so I finished like 14 with the with the punk ep like 20 tracks or something like that yeah i was what i liked so much about what you guys did with those two song eps was you know a, a lot of times during the the pandemic people were like you know holding off records that were supposed to come out in 2020 and you know all of a sudden there's like so much music out this year where they were just holding back on, on music or like maybe they were supposed to go in the studio in 2020 and like basically, you know, a long gap between releases. And I thought like for starters, like those two EPs were, you know, they were, I, I love the, the hell out of them, but they were also kind of like little nuggets to, to keep on knowing like, okay, volume two is coming at some point. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we already had volume two, like, pretty much done and then started those he's like well yeah we got it we got to put something out in the meantime which i think is uh what's the uh there's like a buddhist thing about uh you know guys like burn their fingers off or whatever what's it called uh when something's like doesn't stick around forever what's it called what is that thing I have no idea. As far as um, fingers, imp- oh, imp- impermanence. Mm. So, like, the idea of impermanence, like, nothing's gonna stick around. Like, everything goes away. Like, so it doesn't really matter. Like, that—that's what I felt like. Hey, well, I've always wanted to do this. Let's just put these songs out right now because it doesn't matter. But the record matters a lot, you know. Like, what everybody, you know, believes collectively believe you have to tour you have to you know it has to be a big thing so there's some beautiful things that were very light and fun and hey there's some cover songs that we we usually do live and people like them cool let's record them so i felt like there's like less pressure on it you know yeah that, that's one of those things that especially with like the george Strait covers i could when i was listening i was like okay i could go for like another 15 20 of these but right you know, I, I think like doing that makes it maybe less fun, less of a less like there's so much more pressure in saying, oh, I'm going to we're going to do a entire record of, of George Strait covers where, you know, just like having to is is enough. You know what I mean? At the end of the yeah. day. In saying that, though, like what what it went into, like deciding on on that pair versus, you know, the the wealth of the George Strait catalog. Uh, picking anything else in that in that book so these these all came from d's uh d's was making a record at his house and he had put a cover of cowboy rides away on it just mm-hmm. sort of like normal country rhythms but instead of the i think it's steel guitar is the little lick he used this just like garage band synthesizer that actually sounded like a lot of like late eighties, early nineties, Tejano stuff. And so that, like having that tone shift in there, we were both like, Oh my God, this could be, we could just do it as a polka and do it like straight up Tejano style. Uh, So that's where that one came from sort of randomly and organically. And then uh, D's also called me because ocean front had come on the radio and it's got that weird halftime beat on the original which we're always on the hunt for like can this song be a cumbia i i think about it like twice a day if i hear something on the radio i'm like can this be a cumbia can that be a cumbia uh and that one worked and we were listening to it and we're like oh my god ocean front's like perfect so uh 
we just kind of are constantly on the hunt for, you know, songs that mean a lot to Texans and mean a lot to us. Uh, if they fit in the, the big, uh, just the general, like, uh, style of the whole, of say on a weekend, yeah. which is like things in Texas that aren't ever going to go away. You know? Right. That's what I've always been so impressed with as far as like when it comes to the covers that y'all pick is that on one end, they're, they're, they're like the, the staples, right. Of, of Texas stuff. It's the live forever. It's always on my mind, that kind of stuff. And yet it's also one of those things where it's like, how has this not been done before? You know, how is like, and, and it makes it feel like even in this, it's, it's such a specifically with those kind of songs, they, it's universally Texan, right? It specifically feels Texan. And of course, like Tex-Mex and Tejano is also Texan. And yeah, it, it just like matches perfect in this way of going. There's like still like this cultural sharing, if you will. And it feels like you guys have done, you know, as good a job as any as far as, you know, still mixing those two worlds. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, it's uh, a semi-conscious endeavor, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, I, I'm very proud that we've sort of created a system that we can see if things like clearly fit or don't fit into it, and that's that's something that's really cool of having a band long enough to where you can like kind of have a good gut feeling about bringing songs to the table or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. like when there's this clear path that's already been laid by your self, by your previous self. So that's a fun situation to be in. Some stuff doesn't work. Yeah. I'm sure there's, there's plenty of stuff that, you know, you've tried or you thought was going to be like a, a good crossover, a good, yeah, and it just kind of just, you know, fell flat. Yeah, my D ant word cumbia didn't work. Your what? D ant word. Yeah, bro. <clears throat> it's like a it's like a doom hip hop band from South Africa. Uh. <laughs> Never mind. Well, okay. <laughs> um. But yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what. I know we talked a little bit about bef- about it before, but can you go into a little bit more on like, you know, the transition into Tejano Weekend as far as being a project that, you know, that was, you know, I guess like out of Sons of Fathers, and then you had Blue Healer, and then into David Beck's Tejano Weekend. Can you talk a little bit about like that transition into into diving into this world where, you know, it was a, you know, you're a fan of it, but then like you felt like you had something to contribute to it. Yeah. Um, it started like anything else good starts, I think, which is one totally being obsessed with a whole genre. It's even more than a genre. It's just a whole cultural plane that I felt like I had not tapped into Tejano music uh, in general and uh, completely getting obsessed with it and it made me and it still does it made me so happy though and just like I don't know just it, I felt I felt like I was 12 years old again like learning the guitar for the first time or like learning how to record yourself or like listening to, you know, a certain band that you'd never heard and getting all obsessed with it. Like I felt like I was a little kid again, which to me is always like, if I can get to feel like I'm 13 or whatever, I'm like, Oh my God, Roberto Polito is so sick. Check out this record. And I'm like telling my friends and stuff. Like if, if that's happening in my body, I got to like pay attention to it. Uh, And so it started just, passionately listening to it and then writing some tunes and just sort of playing around with 
the rhythms and and making cumbias and stuff and uh i don't know it just stuck around long enough to where i felt the urge to put a whole band together for it i don't know when the, the switch happened of, of like making it live i can't remember of booking a show for it because uh, it was there was a pretty big gap because that would have been like July of 2017 or whatever. July, July, August, September, October. Well, maybe not. It was like four months and then we played a show. Mm-hmm. From like getting obsessed with it over a summer. Maybe longer than that. I really can't remember, Thomas. I can't remember. <laughs> but uh, it was a cloudy time. But uh, I don't know. I also moved to Nashville for six months during the, the start of the whole thing. Which was a big, like, uh, I moved to Nashville and was obsessed with Tejano music and no one, barely, you know, my friends in Texas kind of didn't even know what I was up to or didn't understand what I was up to. And then no one, absolutely nobody in Nashville understood what I was doing. You know, I showed people these songs and stuff like cumbias and big polkas and synth and stuff. And they're just like, I have no idea what how to respond to this, you know? And so the fact that I kept doing it all the way through Nashville, and then I eventually moved back, uh, I think was like, a, I like took it out into the wilderness and it held up. And so I knew it was something that was going to stick around in my life for a long time. Yeah. That's, that's so interesting right there because, you know, it, it seems that if you're like a creative person and you're showing, no matter like what kind of genre it is, if it, if it's good or if there's something that intrigues you, you would, you know, kind of understand what the other person's doing, regardless if you're a quote unquote Nashville country singer, songwriter, or, or Americana songwriter or something like that. Because, you know, I, I feel like what, at the end of the day, I think like a lot of the songs you're doing, I'm sure you, you could have put that Americana lens on and been fine. But this right here, I feel is like, it's a little bit more intriguing and I think it's, it's kind of like, um, like I said, like it's kind of bridging two, you know, huge staples of, of, of Texas culture together where, you know, I, I think that like we all kind of have had like these little moments, these little pockets of, of being introduced to Tejano music or Tex-Mex or it kind of being on that radio or whatever, going to San Antonio and, kind of being introduced even just by walking around the the river walk or whatever. And yet like we don't necessarily, those two worlds don't necessarily always cross paths as far as like the, the Texas country or whatever we want to call it and Tejano worlds. But every once in a while they do. And when they do, like it's obviously like some, some magic. And of course I'm, you know, talking about like Texas tornadoes or like Doug Som or Freddie Fender and any of those guys, Joe Ely even. Yeah. Or like Los Lobos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember, yeah, I remember you talking about Los Lobos being like a a big band as far as like kind of finding that that influence as far as, uh, you know, no one really else sounding like them in the Americana time during the 80s. Yeah. No, I mean, they... Yeah, it's... Uh, I, had, I didn't have any of these like... Uh, when I started, I didn't have any like aspirations, which mm-hmm. sounds bad. I had zero aspirations of like doing anything uh, other than purely like self-indulgent m- mimicry or whatever. Um, but it turns out that there weren't a lot of people, if anybody, really doing like a straight up Tejano thing, but also doing English making it accessible to multiple cultures in texas and like pretty soon out of the gate like we had people at shows dancing together hanging out together that wouldn't have gone to the same show together in other in a different case if it's a different show they wouldn't have gone they wouldn't have been in the same room together really yeah um 
And I think that's a really important thing. And I think that's a, and like I said, there was no planning on this. There was no like, I'm going to make a crossover thing. And it's going to, there was nothing premeditated at all. It was just a passion project. And it still is. But it, it's had these really beautiful, fruitful after effects that um, I, I have to pinch myself sometimes and take a look at it and go, you know, I don't know when the last time someone sang a song in Spanish in this room, you know, or whatever, like, and I'm a weird white guy doing it, so it's not the same, you know, uh, but it's like, I don't know, it, it, it feels good to see crowds of from different cultures all hanging out together. That's a big deal. Yeah. Well, I also think like you have to take those moments. It's, it's so easy to just kind of brush off any kind of you know, any kind of accomplishment, any kind of like anything like that as just, Oh, you know, it's cool. But like, I think that's what it, what we have to do is like be in the moment in, in the present moment and kind of go, Oh, you know what? Like that is, this is actually really cool. You know, uh, these different kinds of people coming into a room and experiencing the same thing that they may have not otherwise done. One of the things that you, you mentioned a minute ago, that I wanted to go back on was, you know, you're talking about being obsessed with Tejano, being feeling like you're like 13 again, right? You're essentially mm-hmm. kind of like learning all this stuff. Did you feel that like, for one, like um, that it took a, a amount of time to not necessarily shake the mimicry, but like, you know, find your own voice within that world or because you have been a songwriter for a while, that like it was kind of it was still very easy to 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 sing from your own perspective to write from your own perspective and um or, or was it a little bit more of like you know just kind of um since since it was so fresh and new still kind of being you know really impressioned uh or more impressionable does that make sense yeah so there's there's two factors in it and the first factor is like, just like I had to literally, I hadn't studied anything since high school. I went to college, but I didn't really do anything in college. I barely did anything. Um, I hadn't studied anything or like had to learn anything new until I started working on the Tejana stuff. At the very beginning, I had to like critically break down what the bass lines were doing what are the drums doing researching looking at videos like i had to like completely break down a music style because i wanted to recreate it so bad but i had to learn this is what the guitar does this is what the bajo does these are the kick drum patterns these are the percussion patterns and like i hadn't learned anything new in so long that it was exhilarating to do that so and then playing it and then playing it with the right feel and, you know, finding all the players that I, that could pick up on it, that were good listeners that could, you know, tap into the same feel and everything. So I, I think, so there's like some fundamental musical things that I had to sit down and go note for note and learn things. And that was really, really cool especially to do that in my late twenties, early thirties, like to learn something, which sounds stupid, but, uh, I don't know if I would like, I I don't know anything else that I can tell you that I've like learned how to do anything new. Right. Uh, which kind of sad, but, uh, I think probably a lot of adults or, you know, young adults or whatever, whatever, uh, uh, you know, I don't, unless you're like, training for a job or something or, or, you know, I know but there's a lot of people that have a bunch of activities and like, I'm going to get into pottery and then they learn all about pottery. But most of my friends, we have like three things we do and then we don't change it. Uh, anyway, so there was that, which I had to learn. And then also uh, the band, I feel like we, like the first record is like super fun, but like we don't know what we're doing on it. And the second record, I feel like everybody has a way better grasp musically, all the musicians on a, what our goals are and we're way more comfortable and uh so i really think the second record volume two is a, a really good 
uh, example of us just sort of getting in the groove. And then on the other side of coin, the second part of all this, the songwriting for me, I think has stayed exactly the same, which is really cool. And that's not it. None of these are intentional, but uh, I just ended up writing the same type of songs that I always do. They just happen to be over polka or cumbia or whatever. So like, it's the same. I feel like I, my voice was there from the first song I wrote. Uh, and that, that never changed. Yeah. Which is good, which is good. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting right there as far as, you know, kind of a, that you're able to like maintain that, that same lane, that same direction, right. Without feeling like you had to change your writing style. But then also at the same time, like, you know, uh, being humble enough to, to, to know that like, I have to go and break down these songs to, to actually do anything justice. Because, you know, if, if you, I guess if you don't do that, if you didn't do that, it would feel like you're, you know, just kind of, I don't know, like trying to, uh, you know, I guess take, uh, what's, I guess, what, what's the word I'm looking for? You're, you're like if you I guess like just kind of uh mailing it in right or like trying to yeah. like appropriate um something yeah. but like it sounds like you, you actually and that's that's something that's so interesting right there too is like as you said you know a lot of times when you're an adult you kind of stop learning or you feel like you need to stop or you don't have to learn I guess is probably the better way and yet you know I, I think that's like also so amazing is when you do have those, those moments of like, Oh, you know what? There's still so much more that I can actually try and do. I don't have to like be limited by this earlier version of myself. Yeah. And it, uh, I think sometimes, yeah, it takes a new, uh, a new energy to you, new to you to, to sort of push you over the edge to start working on stuff. You have to want to work on stuff. That's why I did shitty in college. <laughs> I didn't care. <laughs> and it sucked. And I wish I'd gone back because people, you know, I wasted a whole, a whole thing that people strive for. And uh, I feel really bad about it. Um, but, you know, you gotta, if you have that drive, learning something new is just so good for your brain. And, uh, yeah, that's all I got. On that. Yeah. Well, you, you said like this record right here, you felt like you guys knew what you're doing more like, right. There was had yes. to be like this, this feeling of, Oh, you know, we're, what we're doing is intentional. Not necessarily like we're just falling into having a fun record. Um, I'm assuming that had to like just come with just the repetition of playing live a whole lot and, you know, doing obviously the, the studying, if you will. But was it like, was I, I'm sure like there wasn't necessarily one moment or anything like that not like a snap of a finger or anything like that. There wasn't like probably an aha moment, but was there a, a moment where you kind of like, at least when you were recording volume two that you kind of realized, okay, this is, this is different than volume one. This is a little bit more advanced, a little bit more progressive in, in that step in that direction. Um, not when we were recording it, we just went in with a general, confidence and more of like knowing uh, like a like a we could see the end picture and we knew how to get there quick mm, okay yeah we knew what we wanted we knew what we wanted stuff to sound like we knew how we wanted to feel so we just went in like with less resistance and more um, a better understanding of where we wanted to end up yeah. And but we did have a, a breakthrough moment. It's a little bit different, but there was this we played the uh San Antonio Rodeo. And we got a really awesome gig at the San Antonio Rodeo in one of those big tents. Uh and which the San Antonio Rodeo is about as good as a gig for a Tejano weekend as we could possibly get. Just it's in San Antonio, it's in the Tejano Mecca. It's also an intimidating show for us. And uh, so we went in half excited, half like, 
God, I hope this works. And, uh, and we started playing some, uh, Ramon Ayala stuff. And, uh, we had like probably 50 to a hundred people dancing. It just like felt like the whole tent was dancing and everybody was like having a good time. And we felt like accepted and, uh, so that specific moment, you know, the three and a half minutes for that song to me was like, okay, this is going to work. Yeah. You know, yeah, this will work. We can do it. We, we can do it and not feel like guilty about what we're doing or, you know, culturally or whatever. Like we can, like people, I th- from what, from my point of view, it felt like everybody was like, okay, y'all are cool. <laughs> Yeah. We got like the nod to be like, all right, it's nice. We'll dance. Cause if people don't, if you don't like it, they're not going to dance to it. You know? So it was like that to me, it was like, we got the nod from San Antonio, the people of San Antonio. Right. So, uh, that was a breakthrough. That was like a pinpoint. I remember the day it's on a calendar kind of thing. Yeah. See, that's, that's, that's must be like a, obviously like a little bit of the approval, right? The, uh, the nod. I know the head nod you're talking about, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a, uh, that's, that's a big driving force too, you know, is to, for us is for the Hispanic culture to be like, okay, it's good. You know, cause it's, you know, it all comes from them. I mean, it's a, it's a Texan deal or whatever, but you know, we, we didn't have much to do with it. Yeah. White folks. So to me, uh, you know, it's, I don't know, just honoring someone else's culture because you love it and because you, it brings you so much joy, you know? And so when you get a head nod from somebody about it, that is a really cool thing because it's a shared, you're sharing this world together. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Right. Well, not to necessarily even take it this way as far as um, I don't know if you've had any of these moments, but has there, have you felt any resistance even like, you know, or reservations from yourself as far as um, you know, are, are we doing this justice or, you know, or, or people kind of, you know, has there been any crowds who are kind of, you know, resistant to, to y'all doing Tahana music? We've had one lady at the Blue Bonnet Palace in Selma uh, yell, come up to the stage and yell at us to, that we shouldn't play this music. Um, that's one lady out of, I don't know, we've been right. playing for almost, almost four years now. So, you know, if people don't like it, they're not telling me about it. But, you know, they're not vocal about it to me. But, because uh, I'm sure people don't like it some people don't like it but uh no i mean other than that it's it's just generally been really well received and i you know i i doubt myself i doubt everything i do (laughs) you know quite a bit uh and that's what keeps me in check on things but uh i personally know it's coming from a good place and we work really, really hard on it to make it as good as possible. And it's, you know, it's honoring what, you know, the Hispanic culture has created. And it's just, uh, it's just shining a light on that and mm-hmm. wanting, and the, the way I, you know, honor stuff is to, try to recreate it and try to make more of it. So yeah, well, I think that's so. how, that's how I feel about it. Yeah. I think so too. I mean, I, I think that like more than anything else, this is a, a, an opportunity for a lot of people to use you guys as a gateway to discover, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. Leave us it's... behind. There's much better. <laughs> there's, there's much, there's much, much better things. Yeah, if, if we can if we can open the doors to someone all of a sudden becoming obsessed with Roberto Polito, then 
you know, that's a, I think that's a positive thing. Yeah. Well, one of, one of the things I was wondering is, you know, did, do you feel like let's, let's go back to that whole like 13, you feeling like 13, like this new world discovering, right. Being invigorated. Um, you, did it feel like you, you ended up like, you know, having a hot streak as far as writing? Did it feel like this was new when it, when it came to the writing or what, did it always kind of feel like the, the same kind of process? Did you never, did you never feel like, you know, that like you didn't have something to write about or, or was it something like, you know, some water to a seed because this was something fresh and new that you, you felt like, okay, I've, I've, I'm on a hot streak of, of writing because it's, kind of inv- been invigorating in that way it was, a, it was absolutely a hot streak um and it was you know taking a lot of it, all these skills i've been working on my whole life with making one little alteration on it and then that's all it took for it to feel fresh f- for everything to feel fresh like i'd never written a song before and i'm super excited about it um one thing that was different about it, which was really exciting, was uh, so Tejano music is our show is largely dance based. We're trying to get people to dance. And so I'd never done this in any other band or anything. But I go, we need. Like I'd, li- I'd listen to 107.5, which is a really badass radio station in San Antonio, uh, KXTN. And, uh, like we'd be playing these shows and we didn't have enough for 90 minutes. So we'd like stretch stuff out. And and then I'd hear a song on the radio and be like, this tempo of a tune, like this tempo of a cumbia is exactly what we need in our set. We need this like for (laughs) a couple weeks from now, we need more songs. Literally we need more songs to play. And they'd be like, I want to write a song that's this tempo. So I would, write down the BPM. Okay. It's one fifteen BPM or whatever. And then I'd go home and make a cumbia with samples and stuff. And I'd make in pro tools and I'd make a cumbia at one fifteen, just the drums, because I knew that was going to be, that was going to cultivate the correct, like energy that we, I was looking for. And then I would write a song on top of that, on top of those loops. So like I'd never, uh, with with other music I made, I never like listened to some freaking whatever Fleet Foxes song uh, and be like, that's the kind of song we need because it's all over the place. It's not dance based, you know. Right. If I'd been making, if I'd been making other types of music, maybe I would have felt that or something. But it, it like. It, a lot of these tunes started with the rhythm and started with these like I we need something we need a polka that feels like this fast and we need it to be this energy and then I would so I had a little of these like guidelines that I'd set up for myself which was real which you know it can be daunting going to have a hall pass to do whatever absolutely whatever you want to but write a song you, it can be anything you can write a piano guitar whatever it doesn't matter you're like, oh God, you can really just like shut down with endless opportunity. You can just shut down. Mm-hmm. Hey, what you want to write a book about love, the history of Lubbock? Oh my God, what time period? I don't know. What it about people, about buildings? You know, it's like, no, music 2015, 2017. Oh, okay, I can do that. You know, like it just gave me some guidelines with writing. So, yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's the, Sometimes like when you, I, I guess what I've, I've framed it as is like, once you kind of set up some parameters, once you like say, I'm only painting inside this box, painting inside the yep. lines, somehow like it, it's like the outside the box approach to it because like you're, you're only, you can focus, you know, it's the same thing that I've, I've talked about as far as when, uh, you know, you open, you're like, Oh, I want to watch a movie or a show on Netflix. And then you just end up scrolling because like, it's just too much. You're overwhelmed by it. Yeah. I feel like Netflix for me would be if they just offered 10 shows at a time (laughs) or something like that. Cause I could just, I could actually do it. But yeah, Yeah. those those parameters are sometimes necessary. Yeah, absolutely. 
and uh, and having a specific in or not even a specific end goal, but a general like end goal of I want to write a song that makes people do this. Right. Okay. Okay. We know it's like algebra. We know the answer, and we know it's a cumbia, but we don't know what x and y are you know we know like a couple of these things we just got to figure out what those are yeah we know we know what the answer is we know what it equals it equals a badass song we know it's got to have this and we know it's this tempo yeah i almost like apply it to having like an, another specific kind of tool in the toolbox you know like uh because as you said like a lot of this music is dance based you're wanting dancers and you know if you're playing the exact same thing 90 minutes, you know, people get tired of, of doing that one specific thing. They want to hear some diversity, a little bit of variety. Yeah. And, you know, whenever yeah. you have that a little bit a different, when you're able to pull out like that different song and it just changes the, the momentum of the, the mood of the room. And then you're able to obviously go back into whatever else, you know, it's, it's the different brush. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the and, things, uh, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, it's, it's also like live music based. Mm-hmm. It's also like a visceral, immediate uh, reaction that you want other people. So like, you're not, I wasn't sitting in my bedroom thinking about lost love and blah, 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 you know, <laughs> right. I mean, whatever, whatever cool minor seven chord I could play on the guitar. It's like, God dang it. I wish these people like, I wish we would have danced. I wish we had this song to play so we could at that moment of the show, you know, you go home and go, fuck, <laughs> we need that. It's like very immediate. Like that's what I mean. I don't know. Yeah. No, it's the, it's, and this is going to be like the, the obviously cliche kind of thing, but you know, in the movie, Selena, um, Selena's dad and his, bl- his band, they were trying to do like a uh, doo-wop and stuff. Right. And there's that scene in the very beginning where they're trying to sing Blue Moon and like they're being booed off stage because they're wanting to dance. And there's that one lady who says, we want to dance. And like, that's right. exactly if, if you had to like just watch like a five second clip, <laughs> you know, that's what it is. It's that dance culture, that live music aspect of it all. Yeah. That's a bad feeling too. If you've ever been in that <laughs> position to go, to go. Like this crowd is fucking hyped up and like we're at blue light and everybody wants to party and we have a really slow song next and we have to do it because we don't have enough songs. That's not a fun place to be. <laughs> that's when you, that's when you figure out some cover songs real quick too. Yeah. You go, I know this one. <laughs> do it. It's in G, you know, absolutely or, yeah yeah <laughs> so that, that'll force you into some things so positively yeah. <laughs> uh one of the things I, I need to say before i forget it because i was thinking about it was um obviously you guys do live forever billy joe shaver yeah and uh i only interviewed billy joe one time but the, the reason i'm bringing it up is because during this conversation and it, obviously talking with him on the, like doing an interview, uh, as I've kind of said, like we talked for about, I don't know, like 45 minutes. And I had like five minutes of that conversation. Um, <laughs> it was just like him talking basically all the time, which was exactly what I wanted it to be. But one of the things he talked about was how, when he was driving anywhere, all he listened to was, uh, the radio on, on Spanish stations. Really? Yeah. And so, like, when you said, like, you were, you know, listening to the radio and going, oh, I need a little bit of this or a little bit of that, you know, I, I think it's like this weird, you know, it's the serendipity serendipity of the, that song was destined to be a, a Tejano song at some point. That's awesome. I bet he would have liked it. Yeah. <laughs> we never, we never crossed paths. Or I hope he would, but if he liked, you know, that's what he listened to. Uh, I got to meet Billy Joe. When I was like 18, I was playing with a guy named Rodney Hayden. I was playing bass, and we opened for Billy Joe at Samstown Point. And 
I had got to the show before our sound check. So it's like early afternoon. It's like three or mid afternoon. It's like three or four o'clock. There's really nobody else there at Sam's. I drove myself down there and uh, I went in the green room and Billy Joe's just sitting in the green room by himself. And uh, we talked for about an hour and all he won. And I, I was 18. So I was, I was a young guy and uh, he was just asking like a, about why I was playing music and uh, and just encouraged me to do it and was telling me, you know, all about how it's super hard and blah, blah, blah. But if you feel like you want to do it then you got to do it, you know, and, uh, it was a super powerful in the moment. And then even more powerful when I sort of got older and realized like how influential Billy Joe Shaver was on country music and everything. Uh, he also told me a very graphic story about <laughs> how, how life, life is like a watermelon and something about having sex with a watermelon. <laughs> and I can't recall exactly, but it was, it was something about fucking a watermelon. Oh. And I can't remember what, you know, yeah. <laughs> they like get, get the juice out of life or something. I don't know what it was, yeah. but you know, he told I don't know. There's a parable about a watermelon, but uh, that's all. It, it was very cool. It was like I was, I was. Uh, I knew it was special at the moment. So yeah, <laughs> but not not fully understanding why it was so special. But. No, I know what you mean. It was uh, like I said when I talked to him. It was also one of those things where I had gotten the interview set up and we were going to talk on the phone. And like I said, we talked for about an hour. And the next day, his manager or publicist or whoever it was called me or emailed me asking, saying um, that did we need to like reschedule the interview because I asked Billy Joe about it and he said that he doesn't remember talking to anyone. And <laughs> I was like, oh, my well, God, what? Well, we were on the phone for like an hour or so. I mean, and it went well, like it was really, really great. But it was also one of those little funny things um, was that <laughs> during this interview, there was like three or four or five times where he said something to the effect of, you know, I may be like, you know, I can't remember how old he was at the time, but I may be like 72 years old, but I also whoop a man's ass if need be. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, man, like, I didn't even, am I like putting on, if I, am I like pushing <laughs> these like weird vibes out there that like, I want to fight you or something <laughs> or like, or do you just need right. to be known? And of course this is already after you shot a guy, but <laughs> I think everyone right. knows that you're tough, Billy Joe. You don't have to, <laughs> but he, right. he, he probably said it like three or four times. Like, <laughs> you know, I may be blah, blah years old, but you know, I'll still whoop a man's ass if need be. <laughs> yeah. So. He's a, he's a wild guy. Yeah. I just, I just remember him being super sweet and like encouraging and was excited to about music. Yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. That's one of those things where I remember him saying, and I, I know he said it a bunch of times in different, to different people, but it was like, you know, God put me on earth to write songs. And like, that's what I'm going to do. And that's yeah. something really just kind of like, you know, um, inspiring about that. You know, it, maybe you're not going to be singing those songs in front of every, you know, the biggest crowd or whatever, or get your songs cut by Waylon Jennings or whoever. But like, it was always in his, it's in his DNA to write or was to write, you know? And yeah. that, that's really, really kind of a, like, like you kind of said right there too, inspiring, uh, pushes you to think like, Oh, you know what? If I can do it too. Yeah. It, uh, it's also, I, I know that, uh, I don't know if you know this, but him and Norm McDonald are really 
or buddies. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you see those? He was on the podcast, Norm, Norm McDonald podcast, and then on the TV show. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so he did two different things on that. And uh, I feel like, and Norm just passed away, which is wild. Uh, but uh, I feel like they also related to each other too a lot. Like just diehard guys that were devoted to their craft who had other friends that like were super successful. Waylon Jennings sort of, which would be like Norm McDonald's, like Adam Sandler was his buddy too. You know, guys that are like way more popular that we're all in the same group kind of getting started and stuff. And, uh, but, uh, I, I like, I, I imposing that on their friendship, but it seems to me like they both kind of had this sort of on the fringe thing, but like very pure artists, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think like they, um, that's spot on on all what you said there, the, the, the purity of it all, you know, the, you, the, the, the pursuit of, of writing a song for Billy Joe was like the same pursuit that Norm had for writing jokes, like the pursuit of writing that, like that perfect joke. And yeah. You know, you mentioned the TV show. Um, I do have like this one screenshot on my phone that I've had forever since it came out. And that is a, uh, of Billy Joe on the show. And he's reading a card that Norm had told him to read. And it says, Bad news for e-cigarette users. You look fucking stupid. And yeah, <laughs> I've just always had that. Like since I, I don't know, remember when he came on the show, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, <laughs> I, I love those. It's just, it's just bizarre to me too, that I don't know how, you know, Norm found Billy Joe Shaver and then how they became buddies. It's just so like, they seem like from two different planets, but they're really very similar people. I think. Yeah. That is interesting too. The, how, how do these worlds path or cross, you know, the, uh, yeah. I'm assuming, you know, like, like that Norm like reached out to Billy Joe about it, you know, I, I'm yeah, assuming, well, I, I can see like Norm being like a, you know, a quote unquote outlaw country fan. And then like, yeah. And yeah. Norm was really big into Merle Haggard, Willie, Billy Joe. So he, he loved all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, so yeah, I'm sure. I don't, I know how long their friendship went back before that, but I don't know. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I wanted to, to touch on before, ending on any of this but um was last time we talked something that you said something that you had talked about was uh, about like how when you came to writing like you had like specific notebooks to write in and you wrote in them and you had like the the volumes of of your songwriting over since you've started writing and how like that was kind of a you know as far as like you I think like what you're talking about was like how you're kind of disorganized in a lot of things, but when it came to like writing down lyrics and writing, you had like a, a certain kind of notebook and that's like the kind of like that sacred ground, if you will. Um, sure. Yeah. Can you expand on that? Cause I find that really, really fascinating as far as just like the, the creative side and uh, I don't know, just it's, I, I kind of agree. Like sometimes you have to have like those spaces. I think it's uh to me, it does feel sacred and it does, it's always been like the most important thing in my life since I sort of started when I was about 12 or 13, it took over everything, uh, for better or worse. Some things got left to, you know, like my schooling didn't do great after I discovered how to record music. Cause I just spend all day doing it and no time doing anything else. Uh, but the books have been, well, music's been the most consistent thing in my life as a general thing, but 
writing and recording and having bands is it's not stopped since I was in junior high. And uh, the books are just like a, a physical uh, manifestation of the consistency of that. And uh, I remember I bought the first one. There was a place called Colloquium in San Marcos, which is like the university bookstore. And uh, um, I went and bought the like eight and a half by 11 sketch books, like sketch pad books, uh, like the black bound ones. Uh, and they don't have any lines on them or anything. So it's just total freedom. And I bought one in 2007 and every few months we'd fill it up and then go back to the same colloquium and go get one off the shelf. And it's very like, uh, um, What's the word? Sacred was close, but it's very like uh, ceremonial. Well, yeah, like you go, you get one, you write your, the date in it, you know, and you you start a whole new chapter of songs. And uh, so I went and did that at the colloquium for a long time, and then the colloquium shut down, and now I have to go to Hobby Lobby, which is way less cool. <laughs> yeah it's, it's significantly less like uh of a ritual you know yeah it's still a ritual it still means the same and it's still i still really enjoy doing it but uh yeah the colloquium was cool and now i had to go to hobby lobby i ordered one off the internet and that was the least cool so at least i found somewhere where they sell them like physically mm-hmm. because it's like it's very self-important or whatever, but there's like that. There's the book, this one that was sitting on the shelf that has, had ended up on the, on the very front of the shelf. Like that's the one who's like predestined to be more. You know? Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I also just think it's such a, you know, we, we have all these like romanticized ideas of how the songwriter finds the song and how they, how he or she puts them to paper and records them. And, you know, you hear these wild stories of, oh, you know, I was I wrote it on the back of a pizza box or, you know, a receipt or something like that. And of course that, that does happen every once in a while, but you know, I, I love like the, the image of like the songwriter, you know, having a certain book that or journal that like, that's where they go. And, um, you know, kind of having like where, again, not necessarily like the parameters, but you know, having something that, that kind of creates the moment and the mood. It's a lot more romanticized than, you know, you typing out on a computer lyrics or something. God, in the past, like, seven years, ten years now, and sorry for if anybody reads this or whatever that I work with, but they'll write all their lyrics on their phone, and then they're recording the vocals, I'm like recording because I produce stuff for other people and they'll be recording the vocals and they have their phone in front of them. And it's, I don't like it at all. (laughs) Yeah. Like the phone is such an evil distracting thing when it comes to art. Yeah. It's like, please don't record this song with your phone in your hand. And I realize some people don't care at all. It's completely practical, whatever. Like is that's my own like little, hang up on it but uh. yeah no I hear what you mean I mean whatever just to apply it for what I do like obviously the phone is very practical to take down notes and stuff like that but you know when I'm writing at the computer or something like that if I come up on like a a snag or something where I just can't you know get around it or anything like that I always just like write put the pen in your paper in your hand and like write that way and it feels yeah. like it, it feels a little bit more natural, of course. And it just feels like something, uh, sometimes uh, more often than not, like there's, you know, it, it gets out better that way for me. Um, do you have a specific pin that you go to? I can't remember. If I, I like the, I like the Sharpie, uh, what do they call them? Let's see if I have one. I actually don't think I have one in my studio right now. Oh, here's one. Sharpie Ultra Fine Point. The uh, 
The like metal tip sharpies. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's all you need. Yeah. I'm a big guy when it comes to, uh, to asking about like what pin use because I think like this is it may sound boring for like 95% of the people listening, but that 5% who know what we're talking about, like when it matters, like when it, when it matters what kind of pin you use or whatever, you know, like it, it's a little insight. What I use is a, a Uniball Signo 207, specifically like if it's, if it's the micro pin. Let me see. Oh. A little bit Uniball Signo 307? 207. 207. Yeah. There's, two the there's two different kinds. There's like the regular kind and there's like the micro. And the micro, I just like the little more refined point. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, I know how to get you for Christmas. Uh, well, there you go, man. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, um,. Yeah, David, it's been a pleasure talking to you this afternoon on, on this new record. It's coming out tomorrow. Yeah. I should get excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> I keep forgetting. I have so much stuff to do that I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really cool. And Dee's was just, I'll, we'll wrap up in here a second. But Dee's was just leaving. And we go through so many ups and downs. Did we do this ride? Did we try hard enough? I feel like we didn't try hard enough at all. No, we did everything we can. Like we just had, we just go through like ups and downs and stuff so much. And uh, and then he was listening to it and was like, nobody's even heard this yet. Like the record's so cool. These songs are good. Like no one even knows what this is yet. We just go. Okay, that is it for episode 204 with David Beck. Be sure to check out David Beck's Tejano Weekend and their newest album, Volume 2. Stop on over at the merch store, order The Lubbock Way, my debut book. It's out now. Visit our presenting partners over at Blue Light Live and Desert Door. And yeah, I'll see y'all later for another episode.